The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. David? Yes? A lot of people were worried Twitter might die last night. So this is a test of our press box emergency broadcast system for reporters. <laughs> if Twitter dies, please tune to this podcast where David and I will be offering instructions on essential journalistic functions. <laughs> for instance, what new site can journalists use to relentlessly promote their own work? If Twitter dies, we will tell journalists where they can post photos of empty football fields taken from the press box and add the caption, my office for the day. <laughs> if Twitter dies, we will use this podcast to tell journalists what site they can use to casually mention it's their birthday and also post again the next day to thank everyone for the birthday wishes, thus inspiring yet another wave of attention. And finally, David, if Twitter dies, we will use this podcast to tell journalists where they can announce to the world that they are changing journalism jobs, but not actually mention what their next job is, <laughs> promising only that they will have more to announce soon. I have a giant blank wall behind me. My wife and I were just trying to decide what was going to be on it for Zoom calls moving forward. If, if everybody wants to just donate a three by five printout of some personal news that they have going forward. I'm happy to <laughs> happy to put that decorate my my entire office with those. Hello, media consumers. Welcome to a near emergency edition of the Press Box. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Carlos Chiraboga, sitting in for Erica. Last night, David was a collective moment of media apocalypse, like I think I've never seen. Mm-hmm. I was texting you this morning. My wife and I were at a concert, and it was one of those concerts where they zap your phone so it's deactivated. And I came out, I turned my phone on, and there were DMs from two different people with their contact information saying, I hope we can stay in touch. <laughs> <laughs> we will not be able to find each other in the morning. What was your first take on Twitter apocalypse or near apocalypse? It wasn't last night. Um, I was almost entirely logged off last night, which makes me probably the worst person in the world to be having this conversation right now. But when I woke up this morning, just to dip into Twitter as I always do, to see what's going on in the world, it was just a lot of melancholy tweets from the night before. Uh, you know, and scattered in there were a few. Well, maybe this isn't as apocalyptic as I thought it was, but let's just you know make sure that we're in 
combat mode in case you know we're ready for whatever happens because it seems inevitable. It is weird. It was it's it's sort of like for the past couple of weeks, it's felt like the end of Twitter could be a reality in some ambiguous way. And then for whatever reason, it just gets really real. You know, it's like, it feels like, and I don't mean to, this, this, this parallel is probably offensive in so many ways, but it felt like during the rise of COVID-19, when we were still going to work every day, but the offices had like paper towels and hand sanitizer everywhere that like, you know, building staff would put out. And everybody was just sort of asking questions on the side, like, what does this mean? And you're trying to scour the news stories. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then there was one day where I heard from literally two completely separate sources, no overlap at all, that the NYPD or that that the city might be closing down the bridges. And that was the day where I came up from work and I was like, Dom, we have to leave. Like, (laughs) I don't think this is true, but we still have to leave. It really did have that feeling of something happening. And, but what I think is interesting is that it flipped a little bit because when you and I were talking about the death of Twitter the other day, death was sort of meaning, will we want to be on this platform? If under Elon Musk, there's way more misinformation. Mm-hmm. If Donald Trump comes back, sure. if Twitter just becomes a place you don't want to hang out in last night. It went to, from that to Twitter is not going to work. Mm-hmm. It is going to go down tonight because if people didn't follow this, Elon Musk, the newish owner of Twitter set a deadline Thursday for Twitter employees. And he said, essentially you're either going to be extremely hardcore quote unquote and stay, or you're going to leave with three months severance. This was after he laid off 3,000 plus workers out of Twitter's 7,500 person workforce. Mm -hmm. Not shockingly, a lot of people looked at that ultimatum and said, yeah, I'm out of here. I will take that three month severance rather than to continue to work for this company. By the way, that was another feature of last night, dude. The tech reporters. Last night was like the NBA trade deadline for tech reporters. Like refresh, refresh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My favorite was Mike Isaac of the New York Times started a tweet with, hey. <laughs> Somebody starting a tweet with, hey, it's probably not good news. And then he wrote, I thought things were bad, but it's worse than you think. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it went from a place that you thought, you know, the fear was it might not work in the sense that, like, it might not work the same way. You might not be able to do the things you normally do on Twitter because of, for instance, uh, you know, a tidal wave or, you know, of of bad faith users uh, from, you know, the more objectionable parts of the Internet. Right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, racist Twitter eggs and whatnot. And it went immediately to, oh, this might not this just might not work. You know, it might not like the buttons might not work. The app might not open. Um, the servers might be down, which is a whole different conversation a lot of fail whale coming back bits on twitter last night Mm -hmm. alex heath of the verge speaking of tech reporters tweeted this several members of twitter's command center org which i'm told Musk's transition team identified as a linchpin that keeps twitter operating day to day resigned today also entire key infrastructure teams gone not good so there was this whole feeling that This site may just go down tonight. 
which then led to a very, what would you call it? Pre snowpocalypse, pre meteor hurtling toward earth feeling on Twitter. Mm hmm. As people waited for the possible failure of the entire site. A couple of features of that. I told you about the contact info. <laughs> I just, I just want to make sure we can find each other on the flip side. Also, a lot of jokes about what your last tweet would be. Yeah. Want to make sure you get in the worst take possible on the site before the site goes down. It's like the last day of school or the last day of summer camp or I don't even know what the right, maybe it's more like the last day of college because you all said, well, when we were in college, when you all, you all communicated through college email and you suddenly realized you're not just saying goodbye, but you're saying goodbye to your means of communication. Um, so yeah, it's, it's somehow even worse than that. Mina Kimes had a good tweet about people you met on Twitter that sort of changed your life. Hmm. It's kind of a happy category. Sure. She mentioned uh, Bill Barnwell. That's a that's a sort of nice way to put it, right? Like if we're we're all going to end this site, here are the people that we actually like and that influenced us intellectually, professionally, in a good way. I saw Ben Solak. Somebody said best decision in your career, and he tweeted uh, unironically joining Twitter. Every single job opportunity I ever got was from being on Twitter. Learned how to write from Twitter. Learned how football worked from Twitter. It's a scary place, but to me, it's been crucial. Yeah, I think that I think a lot of people can, a, a lot of people can sympathize with that or see themselves in that. Um, I think that it, we've all had our sort of ebbs and flows of Twitter usage, or most of us have, or or, or connection to it. But I mean, at a bare minimum, Twitter has. Has accomplished so much, if if not directly, certainly indirectly, in mine and everyone's career, right? I mean, just to sort of like keep you present, to serve as a, in the early days, to serve as a meter of your, you know, sort of Q rating or whatever, you know, and 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 to be able to get your name out there. I mean, it was when I sold my book ten years ago. It was on the back of my number of Twitter followers, not the downloads of my pieces or the, you know, I mean, that sort of the re, the page views of my pieces or anything else. Um, downloads a podcast. It was about just just Twitter followers, and um, so and that was really significant. And it's always and it's just always been. I mean, listen, it's always been a means of communication, like you said, the DMs, the ability to communicate with people. You know, I mean, I have literally like lost track of email, personal e my own personal email addresses since at least one, maybe two, since the advent of Twitter. You know, and the Twitter's kind of been there as the mainstay. It's always the place that you can go and. And um, it it's, you, you know, you do sort of realize this all at once when there's the threat of it disappearing. The part about journalists losing their following is intimately wrapped up in the fear of Twitter going away, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I was tr trying to think, how did we do this before, right? I mean, if you, this is, I mean, in some ways, we've talked about it in a million different directions, but this basic conversation, but Twitter did serve as a sort of, you know, to serve to level the playing field in terms of quality and, and access from different outposts, right? I mean, you would start your career at one place and move to another place and move to another place. And usually it was in pursuit of better traffic, the better traffic that the new platform would, ser would, would serve up for you, right? You, you might be perceived as the best writer at New York Magazine or whatever, but that would be 
you know, but but your your the the breadth of readership would largely be determined by New York Magazine, and your and the and the quality of your writing was sort of more significant. It was more significantly it was more significant that it mattered that like the people at New York Magazine thought you were a good writer, right? If that's where you worked, because it wasn't like people were tearing out the page of the magazine and starring it and sending it back in, right? <laughs> I mean, it was like, like it was your career path was your own journey to find the right place and to get better exposure. And then with Twitter, you could be the best writer at, you know, whatever, brooklynblog.com or whatever, and and make a living doing that, you know? And and if and if, if that was your own blog, if, if you worked for another place that was like more of a small, a smaller operation and you were making them a lot of money, well, they could pay you appropriately to keep you sometimes, you know, because you because you were still getting the same number or or a representative number of page views that you could get at a bigger place. And we could track that stuff and people could see it, you know? And that that's that's really significant. And and exposure to other writers is a really big thing too. Because in the pre-internet, I mean I know this is this is separate from Twitter to, to a large extent, but in the pre-internet era, you know, your prospective employers only had so much space on their coffee table, right? I mean, they're not going to be exposed to every writer in the world unless somebody put something in their hands, which is what Twitter did. It put things in your hands um, or in front of your eyes. And, um, you know, the journey is just much more treacherous without platforms like Twitter to open it up. People always say that, Ever, the downside of Twitter is that everybody starts to sound the same, that you get this kind of Twitter consensus politically or otherwise, and that it drives all writers to, to sort of write in the same stuff. But you're right. It like the exposure to the way other people write, you know, not just other points of view, but just the particular way they put sentences together. That was possible when you and I started out in this business, but it just took a long time to find all that stuff. Mm hmm. I'm not talking about the newsstand era. I'm talking about just the internet era where you would just have to visit a dozen homepages multiple times a day. Oh yeah. To really feel like you, you know, took a sip of everything that was out there. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, like Twitter brings it all under one roof and you can follow the people you want to follow and wind up reading people you don't want to follow. Absolutely. That was just such a huge such a huge change. I do remember too, like, again, you and I slipped in during the internet era when the internet was the dominant place to read things, but before social media, mm -hmm. that there was just this switch that flipped and it was like, oh my gosh, we are writers who are either really good at Twitter as it would come to be known, or are just really zealous about being salesmen <laughs> will will flourish in this new environment. That change you're talking about, where basically you're like, I wrote a story and I hope this publication puts it in a prominent spot on their homepage or puts it on the cover of the magazine or whatever. And I hope I get it again, promotes it. And maybe I'll get a call from a radio or TV booking. And that's how I will promote myself to, I will can promote myself relentlessly on this new website. Yep. And a lot of times the people that will get ahead are the people that are most willing to promote themselves or most eager to promote themselves on this website. Sure. was such a big change. This is uh, Kevin Van Valkenburg of ESPN tweeting today. 
Twitter really has been the world's weirdest bar. You could chat or fight weirdos, Nazis, robots, comedians, athletes, musicians, politicians. You could make friends, watch sports, fall in love. It's a genuine shame it was bought by a man who wants it to be an e-commerce mall. (laughs) (laughs) That from the, uh, (laughs) one of the more positive points of view. We've got this, uh, question from listener steve Krisky david question for next week's inevitable twitter segment shouldn't every media company already be working on incorporating a twitter-like feed in their own apps yeah some probably already have something like this but with contributors able to post directly to users what do you think about that uh derek thompson was on bill's podcast this week I encourage everybody to listen to that if they haven't and he, and he pointed out that was sort of what the facebook feed initially was it was a ripoff of twitter right the timeline uh, in reverse chronological order. I mean, there's something very unique about Twitter and its simplicity. And if you go back and catalog everybody's gripes about Twitter, even the, to the extent that you were talking about, oh, the sort of sameness that comes from it, um, you know, the, the problems all seem so much more fixable in the light of the potential disappearance of Twitter, right? It's like, oh, well, we, <laughs> like that complaint was not that big of a deal. You know, that's a thing that we can we can deal with. We should make the effort to deal with it and not just yell at Twitter about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, every there, there are there are everybody's talking about the different alternatives that are already out there or that are in development, and I certainly think there's some space for one. Um, and it's it's interesting that that no one is doing it, although. You know, Twitter wasn't making money to the other, you know, in fact, it was losing a lot of money. And and as we're seeing right now, a Twitter with half of its staff or less is not a functional Twitter. So it's a big investment, even though it seems just sort of like, you know, a message board with a slightly better out al- with it, you know, with an algorithm built in. Um <laughs> And also, it's just like what do you, there, I'm sure that there. Are, I'm sure that everybody suggested this. Everybody's thought about this, and I think there's probably the big question of like, well, I mean, how, it, we can make it work if we get 50 percent of Twitter's users or 75 percent. That'd be great. But like, you know, if Facebook and if Facebook went in with Google and they were like, we are making new Twitter, would it get would it get half of Twitter's users, even if it were exactly the same? I mean, a lot of what makes has made Twitter so effective is that it's not just the power users; it's the sort of everybody, right? It's the sort of like people that sign up and then and then look look at it for a month and then forget they have it and then they log back in two years later and they, you know, I mean, it, it's the fact that like Facebook, it's like everybody's kind of there, and um, you're not going to get the same sort of you're not going to get the same the same rate of 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 usage i mean and and of, i mean the, the, all those everybody who's on twitter is not are not going to go join the same place somewhere else and if you don't get a lot of the same people then it's not the same place because that's what made twitter matter it was all the people using it totally agree i was talking to a journalist on the phone right before we hopped on today and we were talking about this idea that look you know when we talk about the audience that reads the ringer the audience that reads every publication that's out there no, no one is kidding themselves to say that that is an absolutely full sample of all the people that could potentially read your publication. Mm-hmm. The sem- the semaphore idea of all the English speaking people in the world. What was, <laughs> what was their original conception of the site? Yeah, 
that is going to be certain types of people. But the one thing about Twitter scale that you point out is at least it is that overlay, perhaps fictional overlay that that idea that we are getting tons and tons of different kinds of people on here. Mm -hmm. Now, of course we know that just being online at all, then being on Twitter, then using Twitter a lot, it's going to be, it's going to be a very, it's going to be certain segments of the reading public that's going to want to do that or be even be able to do that. Yes. But it, there's almost this illusion that it's lot because the scale is so big that there are lots and kinds of people. And if you went to another website and it was a quarter as many people and eighth as many people have, it just would not have that illusion to all of us journalists, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. David Mulhern or Dave Mulhern listener said, could this be the final overworked Twitter joke? <laughs> This is when we were on the edge of apocalypse and uh, his nominee was y'all. I'm too ugly to be relegated to Instagram. <laughs> Same for David Knight, by the way, the um, so Twitter is probably not going to really die. That is the take of Kara Swisher. whose takes I go to in times like these. Mm hmm. Uh, she tweeted yesterday a few things. Uh, depending on how much critical staff has left and where, it's possible, though not probable, the service could shut down at any time and for a short or long time. Relax, as it used to do this a lot with the dreaded fail whale logo. See the old and new one. It usually restores. Swisher continues there are alternatives like Mastodon, Post News, LinkedIn, Insta, TikTok, but they're all different, and it's not easy to recreate your social network here elsewhere. In fact, you will not accept this. By the way, Twitter is not going away either. It may just get suckier. Yeah. So now we may be back to the first idea of the quote-unquote death of Twitter. Not, is Twitter going to shut down tomorrow and never appear again, and where are we going to promote ourselves? We're going back to, is this a place we want to be? Yeah. Is this going to be, uh, you know, the kind of thing where you're like, well, there's lots of, there's lots of upside to this, but do I want to be here at all? Yeah. And it, I mean, and that kind of goes to the previous question about can people recreate Twitter? Well, I mean, if Twitter never really dies, then certainly we're no one is going to just succeed by being the Twitter backup plan, right? This mm-hmm. isn't like, like a message boards, you know, 85 users moving over to another server. It's a good question. I mean, I think as long as it's limping along, like today, it'll probably hang on to some extent. And then we're looking at not a new a new Twitter. We're looking at presumably a new platform, a new technology that'll eventually grab us all away. Although the traction that it has is really significant. I think it goes more centrally really to what Elon Musk's objective is here. All right? No one can... I don't think anyone can even assume, presume to read the tea leaves, but is the idea just to make Twitter make, you know, to make a, a you know, s- slimmer, faster, uh, you know, just more profitable version of Twitter, but to keep it, you know, going. And, and if it is to keep it going, obviously a day like today is not going to be toler- tolerated, right? I mean, it's going to be, they're going to have to figure out a way to make it functional. Um, is the idea just to strip mine it or to, you know, try to make it profitable at all costs and then sell it again? Um, is the idea just to tank it 
for and hope that i mean i guess there's an there's an outside point of view that he, that, that he could be that he could tank it and and hope that the and in hopes that the government would step in you know in hopes that it would be deemed too big to fail and and he could figure out a way to recoup his investment or make money by it becoming a uh you know a, a a nationalized product um there there are a lot of possibilities here but if the but if but if at the at the end of the day the idea is either current ownership wants twitter to succeed on any level or they want it to be in a position to sell to someone who will make it succeed then one has to imagine that it'll limp along uh and you know, continue on in some form or fashion. It's really hard to read all his moves over the last week plus mm -hmm. um, and come up with a coherent answer to the question you just posed from the, you know, hey, anybody can buy a check mark. Well, not so much. That doesn't work. Let's stop that immediately to the let's gut half of our workforce. And then as we found out from the articles yesterday, he was meeting with people apparently and saying, actually, please don't resign and take that severance I offered you. Yeah. Because I need you to make this website work. This is from Zoe Schiffer, a platformer, tweeting a few minutes before we went on the air. Email from Elon to the engineering team. Quote, anyone who can actually write software, please report to the 10th floor at 2 p.m. today. Before doing so, please email me a bullet point summary of what your code commits have achieved in the past six months. Continuing, Elon Musk is asking for up to 10 screenshots of the most salient lines of code from Twitter engineers. Just really amazing. So that doesn't seem great. No. I mean, is it, it, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Kara Swisher in that, in that, um, in those tweets that you read compared Musk to Trump. Um, she wasn't the first to do it, but she did it very, very directly. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the central questions of Trump's presidency was the question of 4D chess, I guess, as it was, as it was, as it was, uh, termed a lot, like how much of this was some just like really wild out there plan to achieve a sort of, you know, accomplish left field accomplishment and how much of it was just kind of mindlessness or or autopilot or stupidity or whatever you want to say um it's it's similarly difficult to read into what elon musk has been doing at twitter i mean one can imagine one can imagine the logic tortured as it is of saying i'm just gonna let everybody i'm just gonna come in tell everybody who doesn't want to be here leave and then i have everybody else in the palm of my hand because they chose to stay i mean that's sort of the public statement right that's what he is, yes, posturing. Anyway. One one could imagine that being his true point of view, but just also expecting that more people would stay than stayed, um, or that there was more of an autopilot built in to Twitter than apparently there is. Uh, you know, I don't think any hedge fund that took over Twitter would have... I mean, I, I, I'm sure that any hedge fund that took over Twitter would probably try to half the workforce as well. I don't think that any of them would have gone about it in the same way. I think that's safe to say. So the whole thing is just a little bit you know, perplexing. Um, and I don't think anybody really knows. I mean, it, it sort of, as with Trump, the most coherent line is of, of, of thought is that, that it is a sort of vanity play and that first and foremost, and that everything else sort of follows from there. 
um, which, which is to say it doesn't have to follow really logically, but it's hard to read. Until we do get a reading on this, should we turn the Press Box podcast into a pirate radio feed? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Kind please. of BBC World Service for journalists? Mm-hmm. If you have any questions about what you should do and where you should do it, tune into this podcast. Dave and I will have the best answers we can for you. We do not want to miss any of your essential tweets. We want to make sure that there's a home for those. Either on Twitter 2.0 or wherever we all wind up. <laughs> don't want journalists to ever be able to not share important information. We'll just leave this Zoom room open. <laughs> come hang out with us. Yeah. Let's see what we come up with. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Carlos Chiraboga. Shoemaker, let's go back Monday. Twitter or no, with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then. See you later, Brian.